Born and raised in Waterloo, Iowa blues artist Kevin Burt had a tough childhood that put him in chronic survival mode for most of his life, forcing him to make a bunch of career and personal sacrifices to support his family. You're so worried about the basics of day to day that there's no way to think about tomorrow. There's no way to think about, you know, a, you know, not a day from now, not a, a week from now, not a year from now. You can't make future plans if you're not OK. And so you're just you're just surviving. And uh, and that that hustle turns into the, the worst kind of a, a loop to be in. Then last year, Bert made a decision that changed everything. Hello, everyone. I'm Chitra Raghavan, and this is When It Mattered. This episode is brought to you by Good Story, an advisory firm helping technology startups find their narrative. I'm joined today by Kevin Burt, who after more than two decades on the local and national blues circuits, is well on his way to becoming a recording artist of international merit. Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. You told me recently that your survival mindset began at age five when your parents were separated. What was your life like after that moment? Well, it's, it's just one of those things where you know that every day it's about making sure that you make it to the next one. I, it's, uh, it's, it wasn't so much that it, it was out of danger. It's just out of, you know, not knowing. You know, it's the uh, knowing that your mom's doing the best she can and you've got, you know, siblings and you're watching them do the best that they can. And so your responsibility was to do the best you could too. And uh, it was kind of a, a collective mindset versus, you know, just uh, just being a kid. And your mother had to raise uh, how many kids on a very limited income? There were there were uh, four of us. Um, and, uh, you know, after my parents, my, my, my parents separated, they never divorced. Um, so my dad was kind of always there, but not <laughs> so, so, but not uh, he there. Was, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. It was, it, it was, you know, he was, he, he was living his best life, and, uh, um, you know, I don't fault him for that. Um, it was his his choice to make, and uh, but uh, mom raised four of us: three boys, uh, one girl, and all, all three of us boys ended up being all American football players. And our sister was the best athlete in the family. <laughs> So and and this was on food stamps. Five thousand dollars a year in food stamps, you know. Um, uh, fixed income is 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 just that, you know. Um, and the one thing that it taught me is that I, I I knew that I didn't want my kids to ever experience it, and so, you know, it wasn't a, a situation where it was, hey, we're you know we're living the dream, you know. It was you know just reminding folks, you know, a nightmare is a dream too. And so, uh, it, it, it's, we always had love and, and, and never felt like we were in a position where we were destitute by any stretch. It just meant that what you did had to matter, you know? And you had a lot of people helping you get through those early years. Oh yeah. You know, the neighbors were always there. Um, I could always count on them for, you know, you know, to, I I would do things for them. Uh, you know, as I got older, um, I, I, my brothers and I would shovel snow and, 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 and cut grass and all of those kinds of things for a lot of the older folks in the neighborhood. Um, and they were all friends, 
we all went to church together and 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 we all knew they they'd known us we we stayed in the same neighborhood uh, my whole life and so all of the folks that were there you know watched us and helped us to grow up and be be a part of they were all a part of who we ended up being you know i used to used to disappear sometimes and go over to some of my neighbors houses there were a lot of old ladies older ladies in my uh neighborhood and uh, you know a lot of grandmas I used to call it so they, I used to sneak over to their places and <laughs> they would they would always have cake or cookies or something I'd sit in there and listen to stories and 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 have cake and uh my mom always knew if she couldn't if she didn't see me outside playing I was I would I stumbled somebody would bake something <laughs> You know, your mom's difficult experience and how she handled it. Well, how, what did that teach you about life? You know, the one thing is, is that, you know, no matter how tough things may have been for her, we always we always laughed. We always smiled. We always enjoyed that the fact that we were together and we knew that we could count on each other. And um, we, we leaned on that quite a bit. And, you know, my mom... You know, she was my original superhero. You know, she was the person that, you know, if things weren't going well, you know, she would find a way to make it. I say it might not be the best, but she'd make it better. Um, if things were, uh, I, you know, a lot of times I describe her as the most powerful force in the universe. You know, I mean, she's she she was, you know, everything began and ended with with mom. And, uh, you know, it wasn't that she was a domineering kind of a person or any of that kind of stuff. She just was, you know, it, she had a big heart. And uh, that heart um, was 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 always wide open, always. You've talked about being in survival mode. Can you describe what survival mode is? I mean, what are its characteristics? I mean, the biggest thing is, is you're, you're always working from a position to get to okay. Um I've always said um, that if you're not okay, you can't move forward. Um, it's almost like uh, you're, you're you're digging yourself out of a hole, and uh, sometimes folks forget that they gotta kind of you know if they if they dig and they put the dirt under their feet, you know it helps to fill in the hole as you're going along, and eventually you can get out of it. And once you're out of that hole, now you're on even ground with everybody else, but Sometimes it's you. You find yourself just you're so worried about the basics of day to day that there's no way to think about tomorrow. There's no way to think about you know you know not a day from now, not a week from now, not a year from now. You can't make future plans if you're not okay, and so you're just you're just surviving, and uh, and that that hustle turns into. The, the worst kind of a, a loop to be in because you, you you hustle and you work all day and you don't see that it made a difference and you go to bed, you wake up and tomorrow's the same thing. You're just working to try and get to okay. And um, that's, that it's taken a long time to get, to get to a point where I can stop thinking um, that it's not <laughs> that, uh, that I'm not okay, <laughs> you know, or that things aren't going to be okay. Yeah. 
And so, so you went to college and at, uh, wanting to be, I guess, in football, but then you ended up uh, with a career in, as a singer. How did, you, how did you make that transition? And when did you first realize that you could not only sing, but that you could also support yourself through the blues? Well, I, you know, the, the powers that be are, are they're remarkable. They, they always kind of introduce you or, or put those things that you're supposed to do around you. Um, music's always been kind of in my life, but I never thought it was what I was going to do. I always saw myself, I, I, I believed that I was going to be a professional athlete. I, uh, I thought that I had worked to become that. Um, my true senior year of my, uh, of, of college playing football, the third play of the first game, uh, I, my knee got dislocated. And so you go from being a, a preseason All-American uh, to damaged goods. And the folks that were reaching out to you from the NFL and all of those places, they, they, those letters stopped coming. And, uh, and you, you struggle to, to get yourself back. But I, at a smaller school, there's no rehab program. There's no you know, special, special doctors that are there to, to help you to get better and uh, to rehab that, that injury. And so you do the best you can, what you got, you come back to next year, you do the things that you can do. And it opened up a door for me to try out with a professional football team in Canada, the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Um, and they, you know, at the end of my tryouts, they basically just told me that they liked me, but uh, I was too short, <laughs> too American. <laughs> and so they sent me home and uh, the game of football told me it was done with me, <laughs> essentially, you know. And, uh, you know, that's the one thing, one of the things that people don't think about in terms of sports, you know. Um, you can always find a pickup game of basketball and you can keep playing that game. You can always, you know, there's there's you know, recreational leagues of, of, of hockey, even, you know, tennis, you can find a buddy and go do that. There's no, there's, there's no pickup football, you know, there's no way to just go and do that casually. And so when the game of football is done with you, it decides it most of the time. And, 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 and that's, that leaves a lot of, you know, it was my expression. It was my outlet. It was my sanity. It, it kept me from uh, dealing with my own anger issues uh, because I could I could bottle it all up and take it onto a football field and use it and, and, and play it out um, to the point where I was exhausted and, and everything that frustrated me with the world, I could take it out on that football field and use it as fuel. And uh, uh, to have that just taken away, to be told by the game itself, no, you don't get it anymore. Um, it's, it's the worst breakup of a relationship you could probably imagine. And uh, luckily, you know, I, uh, I, you know I'd, had, I'd gotten my degree while I was in school. I was, gonna, I was thinking I might as well get into graduate school. I came to Iowa City, Iowa to get into graduate school. Um, and, uh, I applied for seven jobs, got offered five and decided, you know, I'm not going to do school. I'm just going to work. And I took all five jobs that I was offered and I started working. I figured if I was going to be awake, somebody was going to pay me to be there. You know, somebody was paying me for being awake. So I, there were days that I'd work 20 hours in a day 
Um, um, and other days that I just work one or two of the part-time jobs, you know, or the full-time jobs kind of thing. And, uh, you know, and so I, I, I thought that I was doing well for myself. And, uh, one day, one day my boss heard me at one of my full-time jobs, heard me singing in the office and stuck her head in my office and said, damn boy, you can sing. I was like, whatever. And she's like, no, you really can sing. My son's putting together a blues band. They can't find somebody saying, you need to come audition. I was like, ah, whatever. I, I, it's not on my list of things to do. And, you know, eventually she she invited me over to have dinner with her and her family. And uh, I got to the house and there was no dinner. It was just rehearsal for the band. <laughs> so she, she tricked me and into no coming over either, right? no for cake. rehearsal. Yeah, and I got nothing. No cake, nothing. I, You know, and so I ended up trying out uh, auditioning for this band and and they liked what I sounded like. And, and so it started. And so I went from five jobs and doing music every once in a while to four jobs and doing music pretty regular and, and three doing more regular and, and two and finally down to one. And in that span of time, I met the woman who would eventually become my wife. Um, and, uh, uh, we uh, did the things that we needed to do to to for her to be pregnant, and 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 uh, while uh, right after or right before my our, our first child was born, uh, I decided that I that I should go full time with music and focus on it. And uh, she looked at me and said, "It's about time," you know, <laughs> and that that's not the the general response that most folks would expect. But uh, when somebody believes in you. You know, has faith in you. You can't, you can't allow them to have more faith in you than you're willing to have in yourself. And so, uh, at least that's my my take on it. And so, uh, I didn't want to prove her out to be a liar. So I I, I put everything. I went all in, and uh, I I started working uh, as a, as a musician and and as a vocalist. I was I just sang. I didn't play any instruments at that time. And so, um, you know, as it found me, it. Uh, it took over and uh, it became that thing, not that I could do, but it, it, it really did become that feeling of this is what you're supposed to do. And over the past, you, you spent about six years playing solo shows, like six nights a week, some years doing 300 shows, even 400 shows one year. You're, you're one of the hardest working artists on the blues scene and you perform with some blues legends. I mean, can you can you name some that have been the most special to you and the ones you've been most proud of? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm proud of every opportunity, you know, but, uh, you know, getting a chance to share stage with folks like Coco Taylor and B.B. And King and, and Buddy Guy and Junior Wells and Luther Allison and, and uh, uh, gosh, I mean, it's a, it's a big old list. David Honeyboy Edwards, um, uh, Lonnie Brooks, um, Little Ed and the Blues Imperials, uh, Joanna Connor. Um, I mean, there's, you know, a lot of the folks that are, you know, in that contemporary blues scene right now are all folks that I've gotten a chance to cross paths with before all of this happened. And then I get to now hang out in the room with them. And it's a it's a it's a pretty cool feeling. 
And and that happened because you entered the International Blues Challenge last year, and it's something you almost decided not to do because you were so busy working and in survival mode. And so what convinced you to to enter the, the challenge? And you swept the awards. I mean, you won the top award for harmonica, guitar, and then number one in the solo duo category. What was it like when you heard the awards being introduced, <laughs> it announced? Was, it, was, it, it was surreal. Um, and it... it it felt kind of stupid because I, I and I felt stupid because I, I didn't go there in the mindset of, man, I'm going to whoop. I'm going to win this. I, I went there and said, OK, if they like me, they like me. If they don't, I'm still doing this, you know, and that was really the mindset. Um, but I spent a lot of time reading the instructions for the, for the competition. <laughs> and and, and uh, somebody had to convince you to do it, right? I, I, I had a handful of folks, you know, a good friend of mine, Ken Valdez, his band, he had won the Minnesota Blues Challenge. So he was going to get the opportunity to represent the state of Minnesota at the International Blues Challenge. He talked me into doing the Iowa Blues Challenge as a solo artist. And uh, I, I went ahead and I entered that and I won the Iowa Blues Challenge. And then when it came time to go to Memphis, I was contemplating not going. I, I heard from him and uh my wife and, and my daughters, you know, finally were the ones, my wife and daughters were the ones that stepped forward and said, you know, what are you doing? What are you thinking? You know, go do it. Um, you know, worst case scenario, you come back here and you do what you've always done. And that's true. That's exactly it. And uh, it, 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 it didn't change. No, win, lose, or draw, it wasn't going to change the path that I'm on. Um, the only thing that it changed is the the width of the lanes, I guess. <laughs> it's a lot more comfortable path to be on right now. And a lot, you know, they're, but there's still, you know, there's still, the, it's got its own hazards. But uh, no, uh, the International Blues Challenge, um, there's over 240 acts from around the world that won their way to Memphis. They won preliminary contests in their state with their blue society, with their country, um, whatever. And uh, they all, the solo duo category had like 240 folks and the, the band category had uh, 300 plus. And so all of these artists, all of these groups converge on Memphis in January and they have this competition that's called the International Blues Challenge. And uh, again, like you said, the three categories, the Lee Oscar Harmonica Player of the Year, uh, Top Harmonica Player, uh, the Cigar Box Award for the Most Promising Acoustic Guitarist, and then the overall winner in the solo duo category. And I'm the only person in the 35-year history of the International Blues Challenge to sweep all the categories. And and you didn't believe it when it was happening. Yeah, yeah. When well, when when we were lined up waiting for them to announce, they did the Lee Oscar Harmonica Award first, and I didn't think that I had won that because I only did a couple of songs in the in the uh, finals with harmonica, um, and there were a couple of really really awesome harmonica players. Well, they announced my name, so I was just like, okay, well, you got the consolation prize. That's cool because nobody wins. Nobody had ever won all the awards, you know, or any anything other than an award at the Blues Challenge. So I was like, okay, I got the consolation prize. <laughs> That's cool. And so I, I, I actually walked off the stage and I was in the hallway behind the stage. 
and there was a stagehand who had propped the door open and he and I were having a conversation and I stopped because I thought I heard him say from Des Moines, Iowa in regards to the cigar box guitar award. Cause I knew I hadn't won that. I, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not a real technical, technically savvy guitarist. I taught myself to play. I know how to play for me, but I, I don't consider myself a guitarist. And, uh, and so uh, they announced my name for the Cigar Box Award <laughs> for guitar. And I looked at the stage and I was like, did they just say my name? <laughs> he smiled and said, yeah, man, you better get back in there. So I had to weave my way back from backstage and 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 it took me about a minute. <laughs> to, to you were get late for your to, own award. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> they were, where'd he go? Where'd he go? <laughs> I, I, I literally just about to left, almost left the building. And uh, they handed me that award. I had the photo op, and the gentleman who handed me the award said, don't go too far as I'm walking away. And it didn't really sink in until I got to the edge of the, just off stage, you know, kind of behind the curtains. And they announced the overall winner, and it was me again. And that's when everything kind of started swirling, and, and it got real... Um, remarkably surreal in that moment because um, it really did feel like uh, it, it felt fake. It felt like I was out of, out of my own body almost. And uh, uh, it's remarkably humbling because I, I knew the caliber of the, the, the musicians that were there. You know, anybody could be chosen a winner and nobody could feel bad about it because everybody was fantastic. But to sweep all of those awards um, amongst that level of talent, um, again, it's remarkably humbling. It, uh, you know, all of the, 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 you know, playing, the, you know, one thing that I've I've heard from other uh, artists, other performers, is that there's no substitute for stage time, ever, um, and that's where I've learned to do everything that I do. I didn't you know, get a guitar and learn to play the guitar and, and, and master it before I, and then get harmonicas and master the harmonica and, and then, uh, you know, and take voice lessons and, 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 you know, be comfortable with the vocabulary that I have with, with my voice and, and then hit a stage, you know, polished and ready. You know, I bought a guitar on a Thursday because my band quit on a Wednesday and I played my first show with it the following Friday. And so everything that I've learned to do, I've learned to do on stage. And I started booking shows from that one show. I started booking crazy. And everything I've learned to do, I've learned to do on stage. And so, uh, I mean, I've spent some time practicing on my own. Don't get me wrong, doing the woodshed thing. But every time I'd have a, a, a rehearsal for an hour and a half, two hours, I'd have a show that night, you know, and um, I always put it to practice. And so everything was about and has always and, and will always for me be about, you know, making sure that I'm I'm ready to perform. And winning all three categories in that challenge has put you in a completely different league now. What's different? You know, um, it's... Um, you know, being a musician is like uh, it's it's playing that game. Uh, or it's that old thing where you, you used to see folks on the variety show spinning plates, 
you know, they'd, they'd have the, the stick and they'd put a plate on it and they'd get it spinning and then they'd put another plate on and get it spinning. Well, all of my plates were in about a four hour radius of home for 20 years. Um, every once in a while I'd sneak off and, and, you know, uh, you know, kind of do a, a, a one-off show on, on the West coast, a one-off show on the East coast, a one-off show down here over there, but it was just one show. And then I'm back home, back in the Midwest. Um, now though I'm spinning plates and those plates are in Denmark, uh, or in the Netherlands. Those, those plates are in France. Um, they're over in Marseille, France. Uh, I've got plates spinning now, uh, in Canada and, and Seattle and in California and Las Vegas and up and, you know, all up and down the East and East coast, um, and all points in between in the Midwest now. Um, and it's, you know, it's a, it's a bigger hustle, you know, but, uh, instead of having to play 350 shows in order to make it, to make a living, you know, I, I, I can knock it down to maybe 250 or 275 and, and where it seems like that's a lot of shows, it, it feels like a vacation <laughs> <laughs> to me. It, but in an interview, you know, after the after you won the challenge, you said that you were quote remarkably unprepared for now. So how are you? How are you preparing yourself for this? You know, the biggest thing is is sometimes you got to get out of the way and let some things happen. Other times you got to know when you got to step in the way and make it happen. Um, and I'm learning the difference in those things. You know, most of my career, I've I've got out of my own way so that things could happen. And uh, now I have to know when I have to be, uh, when I have to make things happen. Um, and and that's that's important. Um, you know, the the difference between, you know, you know, last or two years ago and and now is is. Not, a, you know, I, I played a lot of shows, but not a lot of people knew who I was, you know, now there's a lot of people that know who I am. Um, and it's my responsibility to make sure that they now get a chance to hear me. They've heard my name. They know of me, but they don't they haven't heard me do my thing. So now it's it's the, the, the hustle shifted to make sure that you get places to perform, make sure you hit those stages, make sure um, when you hit those stages, you, 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 you bring in an A game that nobody's ever seen before, or at least, you know, they walk away going, okay, I've, I've not seen that before. Um, I, you know, I'm not going to invent a new chord. I'm not going to, you know, do anything, you know, musically that people haven't already heard the 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 difference right now is 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 the emotion that I try to bring to a stage, whether I'm performing for you know a hundred people or a hundred thousand. You know, um, it's my responsibility to give as much of, of an emotional exchange as I can bring, and uh, it's. The difference in then till now, I think, is 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 hitting those those spaces and being able to to uh, deliver 
to that many that many souls to be able to connect with that many souls so and in addition to being a performer and a recording artist you you're also a blues educator and and it's something you take very seriously and you've been speaking a lot about uh, in your talks about the uh, overlooked importance of Iowa in the evolution and history of blues music. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. You know, Iowa's kind of, Iowa's seen now as a, as a flyby state, you know, you fly over it, you know, um, to get to wherever it is you're actually trying to go. And, uh, uh, f- flying wasn't, didn't used to be the, the primary mode of transportation for, for musicians. You, you either drove, you either got in a bus and, and, and drove or you, you got on a train. And uh, when the trains were happening, um, Iowa was the, the hub for, for a few of the, the different railroads. And so a lot of musicians coming from Chicago trying to get any other direction would come from Chicago, hit Iowa, and the, that's where the, the train would get turned. Um, and so they'd be in Iowa for, you know, days at a time laid up. Well, there were a lot of dance halls here. A lot of, a lot of folks played music in Iowa that, and, and it created, uh, little pockets of music history in places like Cedar Rapids, Waterloo, uh, Old Wine, Iowa, where the, the hub for the Sioux line was, um, uh, you know, different places had, you know, had, had different, left different mark, different marks were left, but, um, you know, the, Places along the Mississippi River, towns like Burlington and Clinton, uh, places not far off, uh, Davenport, uh, right on the river, um, places like uh, uh, Waterloo and Des Moines uh, ended up being places that were extensions of the Chitlin Circuit, as they say. You know, folks would make it up this way. And there were a, a, a good, dense population of blacks that were transplanted from from the south to work at places like uh, John Deere and Rath Meatpacking and and different places um, along the Mississippi River, um, and uh, and so a lot of music came to Iowa um, and and was played and 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 people wanted to be entertained and that was. That, finding out those it's not written down in a lot of places and so seeking out the history luckily i i got to hang out with a lot of older people and listen to them tell stories when i was little and so i think those kinds of things uh sparked curiosity and 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 connected uh a little bit of of uh the past to my soul always and and so getting that information making sure that it gets passed on and 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 pushing the folk artistry of blues um, to another generation, I think, is is important. You you've been on the blues scene for more than uh, two decades. Uh, so, what's the d- biggest difference that you see today uh, about the industry and how it's it's evolving? Well, the one thing that the industry, the the recording industry overall. Has one thing that's happened in the last uh, ten to fifteen years is that uh, blues festivals, the performance opportunities for blues artists, continue to grow, um, continue to create more and more opportunities. Every state 
And now most countries are starting to have blues festivals and, and they're fantastic. You know, and people come out and they enjoy the music. Um, you know, I, I was talking to somebody the other day and I was just like, you know, of all the blues festivals I've been to, I don't think that I've ever seen like a, 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 an altercation at a blues festival. I mean, just those things don't happen. People are into the music and the music makes everybody smile. And so at the end of the day, everybody enjoys themselves. And uh, so they're starting to happen all over. Well, the music industry itself is losing uh, a couple of different genres because of the recording industry. Um, you know, there's not a lot of money being made by the old rock bands that used to cover blues artists, but tell everybody that they were rock bands. So, you know, you got those those groups that, the Southern rock groups, the, you know, now all of a sudden, instead of being Southern rock or being just rock and roll, now all of a sudden everybody's going, oh, I'm doing a blues album. And so it's, you've got folks that have been out there grinding and, and, and building themselves you know, um, you know, even prior to me, you know, the the Bernard Allisons, the the Eric Gales, the the Shamika Copelands, the the Ronnie Baker Brooks, the Dwayne Brooks, uh, Baker Brooks, um, you know, a lot of these other folks that are out there and they're doing and they've gotten themselves that they've built their name to the point where they're starting to be looked upon as headliners for different festivals. But then all of a sudden you get guys like, you know, and, and not knocking on him, but you get guys like Boz Skaggs that just say out loud, hey, I'm going to do a blues album now. And all of a sudden they become the headliner for blues festivals. And they've not been grinding and, and, and hustling doing the, the performance, the touring uh, stuff as a blues artist for years. You know, um, it's just that all of a sudden your royalty checks are starting to dry up and you need more outlets to perform in. You need bigger outlets to perform in. And, you know, those festivals, they're, they're big deals. And, and so it turns into those things where, um, you know, I've noticed that, you know, as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a black folk art, it, it's, the one, it's the one folk art that, that seems to, that other cultures try to adapt to themselves. You know, you don't you don't see a group of, you know, uh, you don't see a group of brothers getting together and saying, hey, man, what we need to do is put together a slamming polka band. You know, uh, you know, I think that what we could do is we could put together a Celtic group that's better <laughs> than uh, a bunch of Irish guys. You know, you don't find a group of Asian guys that are saying that about a bunch of Irish guys, you know, and and so blues is the only folk art that other cultures try to assimilate to themselves and, and, and devalue the originators, you know? And I, I find that, and that's just an observation. That's my opinion, I don't, you know? I, and, and so it's, a, it's an observation that I, I, I'm making that I wish I, I didn't see. And uh, I, I'm, I'm, I say those things just so that hopefully that folks will stop for a second and think and go, wait a minute, you know, that's, that's right. That, that, that is their, you know, that is a, a, a culture's folk music, you know, you know, it's, I, I think that it's fantastic that everybody thinks it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's awesome. <laughs> but 
you know, it's it's one of those things where you 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 can't step in and and say, you know, I do I do this as an outsider. I do this better than you. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I that's that's remarkably bold to me. Looking looking back at your former self and where you are today, do you have any closing thoughts on on what you might say to those grandmas who fed you cakes or to your superhero mom who's not here to see you today at, at your yeah. peak? You know, the the, the biggest thing um, that I'll ever say is thank you. You know, and you know I appreciate every every moment, every every nugget of wisdom that you offered me, even if I didn't think that I was trying to hear it. Um, the fact that you cared enough about me to to share it with me so that it would always be there, you know. Um, you know, once you hear a bell ring, you'll never forget the sound of that bell. And, uh, you know, there's there's been a lot of people that have shown a lot of kindness uh, to me in my in my childhood and and in my uh, in my adulthood as well, you know. And uh, I hope that <clears throat> I can offer that kindness at the same level that they offered it to me. You know, that's the, the to me that's that's the thank you that I, I I offer out there. I thank my mom for for teaching me to keep my heart wide open and to you know, that, you know, every once in a while, somebody's going to pour a little salt on it and it's going to hurt. It's going to sting. But that doesn't mean that I close it off. I keep it open. And uh, I let that part pass because, yeah, because the other part is too valuable. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I was wondering, would you like to sing and play something for us? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm let's see. I, why don't we go... Uh, We've talked and been pretty serious the whole time. I beat up on something that uh, should do something that's a little bit up-tempo. Let's have some fun with it here. This is a song that I put together. It's called You Should Have Never Left Me Alone. Tell you right now, babe. Since you're walking out that door, all your so-called good friends are coming around my way and calling me on the telephone, saying it's a shame to see a good man. That's me, baby, sitting home all by himself. Yeah, they're telling me how much better off I am. Now that you done put our love up on that shelf I want to tell you right now, baby, how yeah. You should have never left me alone, no, no Are you hearing what I'm saying now? You should have never left me alone, no Now you so-called good friend, well They've been running around conspiring. Spreading all kind of rumors and stories about me. I talk about how my best cheating and lying. Oh, and when you heard them stories, babe, 
You did exactly what they wanted you to do. Yes, you did, child. You didn't come and talk to me at all, did you, baby? You just took them stories for the truth. I want to tell you right now, baby, I, you should have never left me alone, no. Are you hearing what I'm saying, darling? You should have never left me alone. Listen up here, baby, well, and let me give a little piece of advice. You can take it or you can leave it, honey. Just understand this right here. This the last time I'm going to be this nice, so hear me now. Yeah. Next time you get yourself a good man, baby, you better keep him to yourself. Huh? Yes, you should, child. As soon as your so-called good friends find out about it, he gonna be sitting right next to me. Getting dusty on this hole used to be shelf. I, 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 I wanna tell you right now, baby, you should have never left me long now. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you, darling? I'm just saying, should have never left me by myself. Put our love up on that shelf now, now, now. Now, 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 now. You should have never left me long now. Oh, my, 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 baby. You should have never left me long now, now. That was absolutely spectacular. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> well, Kevin Burt is an Iowa-based blues singer, songwriter, and multi-instrumentalist. He's long been a fixture on the blues performing circuit and is adding international performing and recording artists to his long list of accomplishments. Thank you for listening to When It Mattered. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast platform. And if you like the show, please rate it five stars, leave a review, and do recommend it to your friends, family, and colleagues. When It Mattered is a weekly leadership podcast produced by Good Story, an advisory firm helping technology startups find their narrative. For questions, comments, and transcripts, please visit our website at goodstory.io or send us an email at podcast at goodstory.io. Our producer is Jeremy Kaur, founder and CEO of Executive Podcasting Solutions. Our theme song is composed by Jack Yeagerlein. Join us next week for another edition of When It Mattered. I'll see you then.